We're starting a brand new series today. Um, and if I, if I am honest, um, I would say that this issue is probably, um, I would put this at the top of the list of things that I struggle with um, in my life. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a list, <laughs> right? This is not the only thing I struggle with, but this is a big one, right? And so this is a series on pride and pride is, um, pride is powerful, right? Pride, pride is, um, pride keeps you from doing a whole lot of things. Pride keeps you from celebrating other people's successes. Pride keeps you from, um, initiating apologies when you know that you're wrong. Anybody, anybody? Yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, pride, pride keeps you, um, from initiating, initiating apologies when you're only 5% wrong, right? And the other person's like 95% wrong, but it'll be in there. Um, pride keeps you arguing your point long after the fact that you realize you've lost the argument, right? Anybody? Come on. We're going to have to be vulnerable and honest for this series. All right. Come on. Yeah. Long after you realize, right? And so then at that juncture, you just like start using, you know, every rhetorical trick you can think of to try and just overwhelm within the argument. Yeah. It keeps you from admitting that you're lost, keeps you from admitting um, your weaknesses. It keeps you from admitting that you need help. Um, It keeps you from admitting that you don't know what you're doing, even though everyone else around you clearly knows you don't know what you're doing. Right? And it causes you to do things too. It doesn't just keep you from things. It causes you to do things. Pride causes you to um, power up when you should be uh, opening up, right? It causes you to um, cheat before you lose. It causes you to um, lie about your past. You know, perhaps some of you have gotten into conversations and past comes up. So maybe you aren't really honest about a past marriage or maybe you didn't actually graduate from that school you went to, but eh. pride, it always, pride causes you to always need to have the final word. I'm not allowing somebody else to get it. Pride causes you to buy things to impress people who don't care about you, right? Pride. And we've all, and we've all done, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't the kind of pride as we talk about pride. This isn't the kind of pride um, that I'm talking about. Like I'm proud of my kids or uh, I'm proud of my niece or my nephew or the company that I work for or my artwork or something that I've done. This isn't that kind of pride. This, this isn't the kind of pride that inspires people to greatness when they see it. It's not, you know, it, taking pride in what you do. That's a good thing doing things well. That's a good thing. This isn't that that we're talking about. We're, we're, talking, about, we're talking about that thing inside of us um, that, that, that C.S. Lewis, he was talking about it. And, and he said this, he said, unchastity, which is a word we do not use anymore. Don't look it up. It'll just kind of make you sad. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites. What a descriptor that is mere flea bites in comparison because pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride. And it's in you and it's in me and you have dispensed it, whether you think you have or not, you've dispensed it and you've been the victim of people's pride. And the problem is, and this seems to be, this seems to be the 
case with so many things that we talk about, which is why I choose to talk about these things. The problem with pride is, is that you can see pride in other people in a minute, right? Like it is no mystery when somebody is a proud um, and crossing the line into arrogant person, but pride is so difficult to see in yourself. It's so difficult to, to recognize it in the mirror, which means there are people in your life who have suffered from your pride whether you realize it or not. And a lot of you think, well, yeah, but, but I'm not overtly arrogant. And so because I'm not overtly arrogant, like I, I must not have a pride issue, but pride is insidious and it, it lurks in all of us. It is inside all of us. Now, just to make sure that we're on the same page as we start this series, just to make sure that we're all thinking and talking about the same thing, um, which is probably something we already know. I, I, I wanna say this, pride diminishes you, right? Which is the opposite of what we think pride does, right? This is a surprise to some people because some people think like pride makes you bigger and kind of puffs you up. In fact, that's kind of some terminology that gets used around that word sometime, puffed up. Um, but, it, but actually it makes you smaller and it makes you worse. And some of you can't afford to be worse, Yeah, we'll just leave that there. Yeah, it makes you smaller and it makes you worse. Actually, I'm the one that can't afford to be worse. But, <laughs> but here's what to do. It, 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 always, it always diminishes your capacity, right? And what I mean by that is like your capacity for a lot of things. It diminishes your capacity um, to admit things that you need to admit. The more prideful you are, the less you're able to do that. It diminishes your capacity to acknowledge things that you need to acknowledge. And it diminishes your capacity to apologize when you need to apologize, right? And we've all had this like strange emotional thing that goes on with pride because pride just doesn't exist on itself, out, out by itself. Like there's this emotional element to it. And it is strong and it will get you. But like, we've all kind of experienced that emotional thing where we know, we know, we know that we need to apologize to somebody, right? And that person is just in a, the other room, but there's this emotional thing that wells up in you, right? And you're like, oh, I know I should go over and apologize. I know I should, but this just a battle rages and it keeps you, it keeps you many times from ultimately ever getting up and going to the other room and making that apology, or maybe you're in the middle of the argument and you realize like, oh man, they're right. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And then you're like, brain, figure it out. Figure out a way for me to not have to admit that I'm wrong, right? It's kind of like a, for a lot of us, it's kind of like Fonzie on happy days when you had to apologize. Remember that? Anybody? I'm old. I need to find new references. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but he couldn't, like it, the words choked. He choked on his words because he couldn't even get it out. Pride, pride, pride. But it's so emotional. Like it does, it's not just a, it's not just like a thing in our head that we're like, okay, I know I should, but I don't want to. I mean, there's emotion tied to it. And anytime emotion is tied to an issue, it makes the issue difficult, right? And so there are these layers that go down to it. And these layers, and some of us have been building these layers all of our life. Some of them have used them as defense mechanisms. Some of us have used them as we've figured out ways to get ahead and ways to get attention. We've got these layers and they make it just nearly impossible to get through these layers and say what we need to say. 
because pride always diminishes. It also diminishes um, your ability to say things that need to be said, right? For, for some of you, hopefully not, but for some of you, there may be people in your life who are yearning, yearning for, want, for you to give them just one positive word, one, one bit of affirmation into their life. One compliment. You did a good job. I'm proud of you. Way to go. And, and you know, you know, you know, you need to, but there just seems to be something holding your tongue. It's kind of even, it runs in your mind. It's okay. I'm going to say it. 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 And then you say nothing. And, and it diminishes also, pride diminishes your ability to hear what it is that you need to hear. That there may be people in your life who are trying to tell you something. But because of your pride, you can't hear it when they say it, right? Pride diminishes your ability to both give and receive love, right? Because pride crowds people out. It pushes people out because when you are so full of you, there's no room for anyone else. There's no room for anybody else to get in there. And the thing is, is that this all, this, it's so insidious that you don't even feel it. But pride deprioritizes everybody else in every room that you are in. But along with crowding other people out around you, pride crowds God out, leaves no room. Psalms, Psalms says this about pride in chapter 10. It says, it says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him because prideful people, prideful people seek what's best for themselves. So they're not going to be seeking God in his pride. The wicked man does not seek him in all his thoughts. There is no room for God. Pride has the potential to crowd God out. The, the literal translation of that Hebrew in there, it means that, that there is no God in their mind. There is no God. At the, end of the, at the end of the pride spectrum lies, I am the center of my own universe. And then why should I, why should I move from the center of my own universe because there's not a God to fill that vacuum. I might as well be the center. That's the mentality that pride gives. Now, this idea introduces another idea that I want to just touch on briefly that we've hit on in the past, but because of, because of, uh, of pride, because it has the potential to, to push out God, there, there are people, um, there are people who their pride, not their intellect, keep them from connecting to God, right? Like they have these, these intellects and these ideas and, and they kind of give God the stiff arm and, and do this. And I know that this could kind of cross a line into some meddling. And I don't know if there's anybody here today that might be bothered by this, but maybe somebody, listen, I'm going to poke just a minute. By intellect, I mean, there's the, you have a few standard arguments, a few standard responses that anytime somebody starts talking about religion, there's a few things that you can just throw out and you've not found anybody that can answer them and it just shuts the whole thing down, right? And to be honest, there are some sentences and some things that can be said and I could sit down across the table from somebody like that and they could probably win an argument and shut me down 
with some of their thoughts and some of their lines that they do. But if, and this is where it pokes just a little bit. If in your intellect, you've given this stiff arm to God. If in addition to that, you stiff arm those around you that love you, right? Like if that's your personality, if that's how you seem to go, I, I would pose that that doesn't really have anything to do with God. That has to do with you having a pride issue and you hide behind it. And, and here's the thing is that pride, when it comes down to it, pride, pride is a prison, right? Pride, pride will shut you in and it will shut God and others out. It's a prison and, and no one would choose this prison on purpose, Right? If you're, given the, if you're given the opportunity, nobody would say, okay, I've got a clean slate. Here's what I want to do. I want to develop such a strong sense of pride that nobody feels close to me and I don't feel close to anybody. Like nobody would choose that from the beginning. Nobody would choose to say, okay, I want to have such a strong sense of pride about me, such a strong dose that it just, mm, that my kids and my grandkids wonder every day whether or not I love them. That's my goal, right? And some of you have known people like that, that they just were so prideful and so full of themselves that they never gave anybody else anything. And they went to their grave and the conversation around their death was, wow, did he like any of you? Because I'm not sure that he liked us. Well, I'm not sure he liked us either. Well, did, any, did he like anybody? Like, that's nobody's goal when they set out in life, right? But he, here's the great thing. The great thing about this, this whole thing, this, this pride thing is this, is that an invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to unfollow pride, right? An invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to unfollow pride because he, here's why I say that is that, is that we believe that you can begin following Jesus and you be, can begin to abide by the teachings of Jesus without actually believing everything that most Christians believe about Jesus, right? Like typical things, like I believe Jesus is the son of God, but you can start following Jesus without actually believing that. And here's why I say that. Because some of you might be like, hmm, what are you talking about? Okay, here's why I say that. Listen, listen, listen. All of Jesus's first century followers started following him before they came to the conclusion that he was the son of God. And, and some of those who followed him for years came to the conclusion that he was not the son of God. And so you can choose to lean into the teachings of Jesus and begin to understand those and follow those things without assuming many of the same things that we assume about Jesus. And this is important because, because, because Jesus taught, this is huge. Jesus taught and modeled a radically liberating version of humility. I mean, it was crazy and it's applicable to everybody, regardless of who you think Jesus is or isn't. See, when Jesus showed up into the world, he, he showed up into a world that was all about religious and political power. 
an order, the pecking order. Like who was where, who had the authority, who had the prestige. It was all about that. And he shows up in the middle of this world and this system. And and he says, okay, let me redefine greatness for you. Right? Because greatness for them was where you were in that order. And he says, let me redefine greatness for you. Greatness is defined by how well you serve others. Not by how well you are served. (laughs) They were like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus says it's about doing for others, not about having others do for you. In fact, in one of the crazy things that he said that people were probably like, what in the world are you talking about? He made a statement in Matthew. He said, he said, the meek shall inherit the earth. (laughs) To which many of the people listening were probably like, what in the world is he talking about? What does that even mean? What that means is that beyond this life, there is an inheritance and it is not the proud who will inherit it. There's a, there's a scene towards the end of Jesus's ministry as everything's kind of winding down. And, and honestly, it, it's a scene that when we read it, because of our cultural context and our culture, just not doing the same things that culture did at the time that Jesus was around, we miss a whole lot of the power of this scene. But Jesus is a rabbi who healed people, right? He raised the dead. Like when he would come into contact, not only did he heal people, but when he would come into contact with people who had extremely, extremely spreadable diseases, their disease wouldn't come to him. He would rub off on them. This is who Jesus was. And in this scene, towards the end of his ministry, Jesus, who has all authority, there's a time, there's actually a verse that says, Jesus, recognizing that God had given him all authority, chooses to, in that minute, lower himself and wash the feet of his disciples. Now, that doesn't work for us on the level of other people's dirty feet, right? Like, that's where, that's where we get tripped up on the verse, like, <laughs> like you know, feet. There's that thing. But this was about so much more in that culture. This was about position. This was about power. This was about pride, about humbleness. This was about service to others. And he did this thing that was extremely radical for him to do. In fact, it was so radical that it made the disciples uncomfortable that he was doing it. And then he goes ahead and does it. And when he's done, they're sitting there thinking like, whoo, glad that's over. And he's like, no, guess what? Now that you have seen me do this, now that you have seen me lower myself, to the level of serving others. Now I want you to go and do likewise. And that lowering yourself and serving others will break the power of pride that you have in your life. But the most significant thing that he did, kind of the pinnacle event of what he did was that Jesus initiated reconciliation. Right now, listen, I I said off the top, that this is one of the, I would put this probably at the top of the list 
of things that I struggle with. And there's times that I'm going through and I'm working on sermons and what I'm going to talk about. And there are times I'm going through and it, I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever, I've got this. And then there's times going through that I want to just stop, find another topic completely, forget that I even thought about that because I just get so convicted, right? And this was one of those moments, just so convicted. So my hope is that you get convicted too, mostly just so I don't feel alone, okay? But here we go. Jesus, the biggest thing that he did was he initiated reconciliation. We don't tend to, in our natural state, initiate reconciliation, right? We wait for people to come in our direction, right? And even if, even if you were a little bit wrong and they were like mostly wrong, right? They're a whole lot wrong. There's this thing in us that will not let us initiate reconciliation. But Jesus... Jesus modeled initiating reconciliation. And here's why that is significant that Jesus modeled that. It's significant because Jesus was right. Not 95% right. Jesus was all right. And he was the one who was wronged. Right? But yet, even in that, even in that, he initiated the reconciliation. Now, listen, if you follow Jesus in just that one area, in just that bit, it has the power to break that pride that keeps you locked in and other people locked out. Many times the people who you actually love the most. Pride says, wait, stall, let them come to you. Jesus says, mm initiate. And listen, that is mind bending humility to put yourself into that position. But Jesus says, he says, that's what I want you to do. The apostle Paul comes along and he's writing and it's 20 something years later. And he's kind of looking back and writing over things and and Paul, as he's had relationships with John, who knew Jesus and spent time with Jesus, and he was a friend of Peter, who Peter knew Jesus and spent time with Jesus. He's kind of looking back over the conversations that he's had with these guys and what they've told him about Jesus and what his experience is. And he's writing to the, to the Christians in Philippi. And this is so convicting. Here, here's what he writes in Philippians chapter two. He writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. To which our immediate response should be, uh-oh. <laughs> uh. In other words, he's saying, take the same approach to your relationships that Jesus took to his. And then a couple of verses later, he really dives deep and fleshes that out. Because he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of, of a servant. There it is. Jesus's attitude was, how can I serve you? 
And as we're looking at that and we see the people that mm, we're looking at, we're waiting and uh, there's this thing that happened and we've got this pride we're not wanting to initiate. Our approach should be, well, they're really, really mad and they really offended me. How can I serve them? (laughs) That's none of our first reactions. Can we be honest about that? Like none of us. (laughs) In fact, your response to that might be, what? Yeah, yeah. How can I serve them? Yeah, but they owe you an apology. Oh yeah, but I'm gonna be like Jesus. Because if I go with me and I go with my reactions, that that will allow my pride to lock me in and they will be locked out, right? If I go with me, that doesn't work. That doesn't lead to anywhere good. So how can I serve them just as Jesus served me. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, man, Andy, I wish you would have picked another topic and just shoved this one to the side. I know, right? Yeah. How can I serve them like Jesus served me? Man, that's a radical idea. Yeah, it is. That's the point. This is a radical way to approach humility and it kills pride inside of us. So he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In other words, that being made in human likeness. In other words, he chose to get what he did not deserve. He chose not to get what he was entitled to when he chose to come to earth being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. Now, how many of you, how many of you, if somebody says, tell me something about yourself, how many of you, your first sentence is, well, I'm humble. Anybody? (laughs) Right? Yeah, no. But here's Jesus, son of God, humbling himself. He made the decision and get this, this is, this is huge. He made the decision to place himself under those who did not deserve to have themselves placed above him. See, we get so caught up and so stuck on who's right, who's wrong, who should be higher in the order. But as our example, Jesus said, nope, I'm humbling myself. I'm placing myself under people who do not deserve to have me under them. And I'm telling you, that is mind boggling humility. He humbled himself. Well, yeah, but how far did he really humble himself? I'm glad you asked because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And all he wants you to do is apologize. (laughs) right? Put it in that context. He's not asking you to have death on a cross, right? He just wants you to maybe write a letter. He just wants you to maybe shut up in the argument, right? He may, he maybe just wants you to tell your kid you're proud of them or perhaps to tell those around you that you love them. He just wants you to lower yourself a little bit. He has humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And then he looks at us and says, all I want you to do is just follow me. 
Just follow me. You don't have to go to the cross. Now, let's be honest. Up to this point, like I, I, I'm, I'm not too proud to admit, I have said nothing this morning that you haven't already heard. I haven't said anything that you don't already know. Maybe I put something in just the right way to be like, well, I never quite thought of it like that. But you all know everything that I've said so far this morning. But there's something about pride. There's something, and it's on this emotional level that keeps us from hearing. And when we find ourselves in that moment, we're like, oh, oh no, I'm wrong. I need to admit it, or I need to apologize. Those emotions rise up and those emotions go, brain, 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 brain. I need you to go and find a reason for me to not have to apologize, right? And our brain is never as creative as when it is working to try and get us out of things, <laughs> right? It, it just, I mean, we can come up with all the best. Well, they were the one that first did it or yeah, I may have been wrong, but I was starting like this. And then even though I'm wrong, the way they were saying things to me, even though they were the right things was rude. And our emotions are like, whoo, thanks brain. Cause that was gonna be really uncomfortable to go apologize. I really did not want to do that. Right? Any of you have your emotions and brains have this interaction? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. It happens. And Jesus says, look, 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 look. Do you want your pride to control you for the rest of your life? Do you want your pride to drive what is going on in your marriage or in your relationships that is killing it? He's saying pride is not your master and you don't have to let it be. But to break it, I want you to embrace radical humility. And that's hard. That's hard for us. But here's the thing, and this is where it really gets sticky for us, where we really don't want to hear it, is that as Christians... As people who follow Jesus, we have no excuse to not do this. Because our relationship with God is based on God's humility and is based on him coming in our direction when we had no reason for him to come in our direction. It's based on him lowering himself to us in order to reconcile relationship. That's what the whole thing is. And so for us to not turn around and then offer that to those around us, There's a reason that the church in general is becoming less and less and less appealing to people in this world. And the reason is, is that many of the Christians who claim to follow Jesus do not look like or act like Jesus. And one of the main issues is pride. We have it. We have pride. So here's what I, I want to do. I want to leave you with some questions that I challenge you to spend time with this week. And I know you all love it when I give you questions. Here's some questions. First one is this. How does pride manifest itself in you? 
right? How does it manifest yourself? Now, if you don't know the answer to this question, I promise you someone close to you does, right? So if this is a mystery to you, if you're looking at this and like, well, you know, I'm not real sure. I I think here's what I want you to do at lunch today. Okay. Now I recommend maybe wait towards the end of lunch so you don't ruin all of lunch. But at lunch today, I want you to get everyone's attention at the table. And I want you to say, I think I have this pride thing under control. What do you guys think? And if everyone immediately gets quiet and starts making eye contact with each other, but not with you, you don't have it under control. And I am pretty sure that if you were to spend just a couple of conversations with people who are close to you and say, how does pride manifest itself in me? They'll be like, well, if you really want me to tell you and you'll learn some things, right? Here's here's one of the ways that pride manifests itself in me. All right, now, I don't know how many of you have been around me in the midst of an athletic event. But there are two things that I hold true when it comes to athletics. One is, I think I'm pretty good. Two is, I win, right? That is, to me, there's no point in engaging athletics if you're not trying to win. And that's a pride thing. And it gets me in trouble. Some of you have seen it firsthand. <laughs> it's not pretty. I, I, when, when I was still in Ohio, and I was on staff at a church, and I don't know, Kate and I hadn't been together very long, but there, there was a friend of mine, and, and he worked for, um, he, he worked for, I can't even remember who he worked for, now, Youth for Christ maybe. And he went to another church and he's like, hey, our church softball team needs a couple players. Would you like to come play on our softball team? I'm like, yeah, I'll come play on the softball team, right? And so I get there and the team wasn't that great. And, um, you know, like I said before, I'm good. (laughs) So I wind up playing shortstop, which, you know, if you're any good, that's where you play, right? And so I'm playing shortstop and we are losing games after game, after game, after game. We're losing and losing and losing. And like, it was, it was in me, right? And we weren't just losing games. We were like mercy rule, losing games. Well, we got to the very end of the season. It's the last game, right? I'm playing shortstop and we're playing this team. And somehow by the grace of God, We get to the last inning and we have a chance to win, right? We're up, we're up one run, one run. And somehow we're in it. And like, this is the kind of team I got to say, this is the kind of team like, um, so we didn't always have enough players show up. And so like the coach's 11 year old daughter was playing catcher, right? They load the bases. And I'm like, ah, oh, how many outs? One out, ah. Oh. And so I'm like, time out, time out, time out. Bases loaded. Because I know, I know, for us to keep this thing under control, 
The only shot we have, and if you're a sports fan at all, you know this, the only shot is we need a ball hit to the infield, and with only one out, that ball's got to go home to stop that runner. So I call timeout. I go up to the pitcher. who was, He was in charge of the team, and it was his daughter catching. I go, hey, 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 hey. I'm like, we need to move your daughter to the outfield and to bring one of the outfielders in. Because if a ball's hit to the outfield, the game's over. But if the ball's hit in the infield, the throw is going home. And I don't want your daughter to get hurt. I thought this was right. And he was like, no, it's okay. I'm like, no, you don't understand. We have a chance to win. If she stays there, we will lose. The point of being here is to win. Like we've got to switch. And it, that, that, I got, I'd gotten a little louder after he said no. And he's like, no, it's okay. I'm like, what do you mean it's okay? She can't even catch your pitch. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, she can't even catch your underhand pitches. Are we not going to throw home? Why are we even going to finish this inning? Let's just tell them they win and walk out. Like I was, uh. right? He's like, no, it'll be fine. And so I'm like, and I go back to shorts. I'm just kicking the dirt. And I'm like, why am I even out here? If we're not even going to try and win, like this is, uh. I don't know what winning had to do with it. I'm like, uh, I'm going to, right? And so the next pitch, Guy hits a pop-up, very shallow outfield. Like, I mean, they come in, they're almost on the grass. The outfielder comes in and gets it. And the pitcher had kind of wandered to home plate. So if they decided to go, yeah. So all of a sudden there was two outs. And it's like, yeah, well, it may work out if we can get this out. You know, now I'm all of a sudden like, oh man, I hope I, I, hope I don't get proved wrong that if he didn't move her, we lose, Right? And so I'm sitting there, I'm just, so now I'm kind of torn, like, ah, what's going on? I'm like, okay, one more out, we win. One more out, we win. Next, next batter comes up, pitch goes in, balls hit straight at me. And I'm like, all I got to do is scoop it, step on second, and we win. And I go down, and I come up, and the ball keeps going. Two runs score. We lose. I mean, I was seeing red, right? I mean, just, and everybody on that field had watched me say, we're going to lose because she's there. And then everybody on that field watched the ball go between my legs and we lost because I screwed up. And I go marching off the field and I'm just, and I'm like, I don't even know why we play if we're not going to try and win. And I'm just trying to cover because I knew I was wrong. I knew it. And I did not want to admit it. Kate's got her head down like this. I'm not with him. She's trying to get to the car before I get to the car. So nobody sees her get in the car with me. Right. I just grab things and I leave and you know, I get in the car I'm going down the road. We get to the stop sign. Kate's like, um, you know you're going to go back and apologize, right? 
the heck I am. I was just all wound up because he didn't want to do the, he didn't want to make the move to try and win. And it just it messed with my, it's not my fault, not my fault, not my fault. I'm not going back to apologize. She says, yes, you are. Guess who won? Thank God he has put somebody in my life who is not afraid to keep me humble, <laughs> right? I ended up having to turn around, swallow my pride, walk back up the field. I think as I walked back up, everybody was wondering if I was back for more. You know, that kind of, everybody got quiet and looked. I go up and I had to apologize and humble myself and I just wanted to puke the whole time. Because then it goes from that pride and that, arrogance and that anger and the reasoning and trying to justify and all of that, then it just goes to that, just, oh, that embarrassment, right? That moment when you're like, oh, I allowed my pride to get me here. But that side of me exists. And pride manifests itself more than in just that way with me, but it, it's there, it's ugly. And it undermines everything that I want to accomplish as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. It does damage to all of it. And so I have to wrestle with this question and answer this question, how does pride manifest itself in me? And you need to wrestle with this question as well. You need to understand how it works in your life. Here's the, here's the second question. What does pride masquerade as in you? That is, what does it kind of hide behind? What does it kind of put on itself to make it look like it's kind of justifiable? You know, maybe it's confidence. And you think, well, I'm just a confident person. And everybody else thinks, no, you're arrogant. But you've, met, you've, you've masqueraded it in confidence. Perhaps an intellect. Like, nope, nope. Again, you're just arrogant. No, I'm just smart. I'm a smart person. No. Nope. And it can be in anything in our, you know, in our sarcasm, our commitment to excellence. That's a good thing, right? You want to be committed to excellence. Or yeah, maybe you're just really prideful. You want everybody to think. There are all kinds of virtues that pride can hide behind and fool you into thinking that it's a pride, but it is. And here's really the, the ultimate question. The ultimate question is this. How much longer do you plan to let pride control you? How much longer? A week? A month? A year? How, how much longer are you going to let pride dictate things in your life? I mean, wouldn't you love to just break the control of pride? Wouldn't you like to be able to recognize it at the beginning and as soon as it begins to rise up inside of you, be able to cut it off and be like, no, 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 pride. I recognize you trying to assert yourself in my life. No, I'm gonna humble myself. No, 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 pride. Mm, I see you as, as you're trying to rise up because yep, they got the promotion that I wanted. Pride, I'm not gonna let you. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to walk over and I'm going to congratulate them and I'm going to mean it. Right? Because pride has the ability to kill everything in our life that's valuable to us. But Jesus died so that it doesn't have to. 
to show us that it doesn't have to. It has the ability to shut you in and to shut others out. But Jesus died for you so that you no longer need to be controlled by pride. But you need to wrestle with these questions. And so that's my challenge to you this week. Because if you can get a little bit of an understanding of these, it's going to make what we talk about the next couple weeks go down a lot easier. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this is every one of us can always do better when it comes to humbling ourselves and reigning pride in. Lord, I pray this week that you do not allow this idea of pride in us. You do not allow it to just be one that by the time we're done with lunch, we've forgotten about it and we never revisit it. God, I pray you put your voice in the back of our head all this week, God. Make us deal with this idea. Because this idea is the root of so many things that we struggle with. Lord, I thank you for the example that we receive through the person of Jesus, how to handle ourselves when it comes to this issue. And Father, I pray that you give us the wisdom to begin to understand how this works in our life. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Be with us till we meet again. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being out. Look forward to next week as we continue talking about pride. It's a